This month we're having uh, North Tenaha, actually, our brothers and sisters at the North Tenaha Church are hosting the Texas State Lectureship. It's an annual thing amongst uh, predominantly African-American churches of Christ here in the state of Texas. I've been asked to speak one of those days. It's later on this month, but there's also, uh, there's a note about that in your bulletin and on the app, but there's uh, also a Saturday coming up that is, in a couple of weeks, that is a song fest on a Saturday afternoon, evening, and the next night on Sunday evening, I think it's the 21st, uh, there's a joint worship uh, planned uh, as the the, uh, lectureship begins the next day. So I want to encourage everyone that can to uh, take part in those two events, especially on uh, Saturday and Sunday. I believe that's the 20th and 21st of January. I know there's a lot of activities going on, a lot of things happening Uh, But that'll be a great opportunity to join with our brothers and sisters in some wonderful and inspiring uh, worship of our God uh, in song. And I can, I do want to say one other thing. I have one copy left of the Daily Bible in Chronological Order. It's what I'm using in my Facebook studies. It's a great, great tool, the best I've ever found, for reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, As Eric said, it is the first Sunday of the year, and so you're not very far behind and, uh, and so if you want to get one of those, I have uh, two on order. One is called for, uh, there's one left. After I, after I uh, pass this one along to someone, then you will be on your own. And you, you are big enough to buy your own Bible. I get that. <laughs> but if your convenience, if that's what you're looking for, then I will have one uh, later on this week. This morning I begin a new series and I want to begin it with this question. Do we have to delete the church in order to connect to the culture? I've titled this survey, this series, Connecting with the Culture Without Deleting the Church. And so I guess what I want to start with is ask, is is that even possible? Do Do you think it's possible? Because I'm not sure that some of us think that. I think for some of us, and I know I've found myself thinking this at times, it's an option. We can either connect with the culture, or we can connect with the church. But you can't do both. That's where our culture has gone. And I'm here to tell you today that I do not believe that's true. I don't believe that's true. For a lot of reasons, not the least of which is this is not the first generation since the history of humanity that the culture was far away from the people of God and the will of God. We think that sometimes I was talking with someone yesterday at the the marvelous uh, memorial service to our brother uh, Ralph Henderson. I know Barbara and her family are probably watching as Ralph and Barbara did week after week after week as he's been bedridden for two years but wonderful things that the family said about him and about Barbara. And, and uh, we were talking about this. I was talking about this with someone yesterday. Just, just saying, you know, it seems like that's where we are. That we feel like this is the only time in history where things have been this bad. They've never been like this before. God's people have never been in trouble. They've never suffered. There's never been a culture that is empowered that uh, looks down upon the church. And we get ourselves so locked into today and our day and time that we forget that God is eternal 
and that humanity has been around a while and that there are other places in the world, actually even today, that have it far worse than we do. And certainly there have been civilizations and and cultures before Christ with the people of God and since Christ with the church that have had struggles in their world, in their culture. And yet, and yet, they answered the call and sought to connect with that culture without deleting the church, without deleting the word and will of God. Now, I'm here to tell you that's hard. That's hard. And there are times when I don't do it very well. And I think that's true of all of us. We sell out to one or the other. We sell out so desperately to the church and cling to that so much that we kiss the culture goodbye. We talked about Jonah and some of our Bible classes this morning and how God told him, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, your enemies, and preach to them that 40 days is all they have left unless they repent. And Jonah went the other way. And the reason he went the other way is not because he was afraid. It's because he knew his God. He didn't want to go there and preach to his enemies and watch them repent and watch the God that he knew that would do exactly what he expected and forgive them. (laughs) He had written off his culture so desperately and had centered himself so much on his own people that he didn't care if they were saved or lost. In fact, he wanted them to be lost. And when they repented and God forgave them, he sat there and pouted. And tapped his foot waiting for God to take his life. That's how mad he was. You know, one of the most celebrated verses, one of the most memorized verses, probably the most memorized verse of Scripture still, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he said, you know, you people are so far away from my will that I'm going to delete you all and disconnect completely. (laughs) That. Is that what we think sometimes? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Nor does it say, for God so loved the world that he gave up on this gospel mission and the church and said, just don't worry about it. Just go and live any way you want to live. John 3.16 doesn't say that either. But what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent his son into the world, not to become the world, not to delete the father's will, but to actually do the father's will in the midst of that world that he knew would reject it. And they killed him for it. He was on that middle cross. Jim, what a marvelous, marvelous communion thought today. The father knew that would happen when he sent his son into the world. And yet he did it. Why? Because what he wanted to do was to connect to the culture, to connect to the people he created, to connect to us without deleting his will. And now he calls on us to do the same. John 17, Jesus is praying for us and he's praying for his disciples and he says, I'm not, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm sending them into the world just like you sent me. And I want you to sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth, and that's what we'll talk about next week. Do we have to delete the church in order to connect to the culture? 
I think not. That's not what God did. That's not what Christ did. That's not what the first century Christians did in the midst of the most severe persecution you can imagine. And it only got worse in the next two or three hundred years. And yet they continued. To connect with the culture, we must connect them with the way. We must connect them with the way. And our hearts go out to our young families as our shepherd, uh, Brother Ken, led us in that prayer earlier. Praying for them as they try to connect their kids, connect with their kids, and then connect their kids with the way. With the Lord. Even though they're raising them and, and teaching them in this environment today that is, that is antagonistic to the values they're trying to give them, that we're all trying to give them. And they're certainly not going to disconnect from their children. <laughs> Nor, the reason they're here is because they're not going to delete the church. So how do you, how do you manage that? How do you do that? And, and how can we encourage each other to faithfully do that? Our ultimate calling and goal is to connect ourselves and others with Christ. That's really what it's all about. What does that mean? What does it mean to connect with Jesus and Am I connected to Jesus? Is a question we all need to be asking ourselves. Those are pretty fair questions to ask before we go to those around us with a message we may not be really sure of ourselves. Am I connected to Christ? That's probably a good question to ask before I go talking to my friends or my coworkers or my fellow students or my neighbors, my relatives and say, I want you to connect with Christ. It's probably good for us to ask that question. Am I? Am I connected with Christ? And that starts from inside. Last week in Eric's message, he said revival. He talked about revival. And revival starts with God working inside of us. And then it goes out. And not the other way around. And I think that's exactly right. We must start here before we can talk about connecting to the culture. We must start with ourselves. And ask ourselves, what it, does it mean to connect with Christ. What does it mean to connect with the way? So a few issues about that. First of all, what is the way? <laughs> what is the way? And I want you to know that I'm, these first few lessons today, next week, and the following week are centered on John 14, verse 6. And we sang it in one of those songs that Kelly led that had a verse that spoke about these three things, and you probably caught it. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Next week, we'll talk about how Jesus is the truth and what that means for us. And look back at the Bible and ask ourselves, is that still relevant today, in today's culture? On the 21st, on the National Sanctity of Life Sunday... We'll talk about Jesus is the life. Jesus is the life. Today, it's what is the way. I am the way. As Tucker shared from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus imploring his followers, trust me, trust God. The birds trust him. The, uh, the flowers trust him. And you mean so much more to him. Trust him. He's going to be there for you. That's a part of what it means Connecting with the way. 
connecting with Jesus as the way. It affects every single day that we live. He doesn't take all of the troubles away. He doesn't take all of the worries away. He just says, I'm there with you in the midst of it. And you can count on that. Jesus said, I am the door for the sheep in John 10. I am the good shepherd also. But he says, I'm the gate. I'm the door that the sheep need to walk through. And in Acts 4, when... Peter and John were arrested and they were told, don't you preach anymore in the name of Jesus? They said, we have to. Don't you know that he is the only way salvation is found in no one else? No other name but the name of Jesus. You see, the way is Jesus. What does it mean when you talk about connecting with the way? You're talking about connecting with Jesus because he is the way. And he's the only way. You can learn a lot about how to live life well. You can learn a lot about how to, how to raise a, a family well, how to have a good marriage, how to be successful in business. A, a lot of things that are valuable and helpful, and I urge you to check into all of those out there. But the only place you can find salvation is here. The only one that you can go to and say, forgive me is the one on that middle cross. The way is Jesus. And he's the only way. So how do you connect with Jesus, the way? You connect with him through the gospel. Through the gospel. You see, only Jesus is mighty to save, as we say. He's the only one that can do that. You can get a lot of helpful information and encouragement... And direction from a lot of other sources. But if you're talking about salvation. There's only one who is mighty to save. And that one is Jesus. The way is Jesus. And you connect with Jesus the way through the gospel. So that leads us to the second question. What is the gospel? (laughs) That's a great question actually. And I think sometimes we get confused about it. Because I think sometimes we confuse the gospel with the response to the gospel. And those are not the same. Those are not the same. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 has that wonderful passage, that wonderful chapter, that whole chapter about the resurrection and and helping us to remember and to believe that the resurrection is real and that, that it happened. Jesus was raised from the grave and that the tomb is empty. And that's what gives us our mission and our purpose. And it's what makes all of this worthwhile. But he begins by defining the gospel. This is what it is. This is the core. This is what everything else afterwards is based on. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Peter or Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he talks about the other appearances. And last of all, he lists himself on that road to Damascus. What is the gospel? It is the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Perhaps you know that that's the literal definition of the word gospel. Good news. Good news. What is that good news? It's that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried that he was raised from the dead on the third day, that the tomb is empty, and that there are people that saw him and testified to it. We read about those great things at the end of each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read about it in that passage in John 3 that I mentioned earlier, in John three sixteen. but in the verses surrounding it, it reminds us that Jesus came to save. And he came to be lifted up on the cross for our sins. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll preach it anywhere, even in the capital of the empire. He goes on to talk about that in those first several chapters of Romans, including chapter 5, where he says, it is while we were still sinners that Christ died for us, and that's the ultimate definition and demonstration of love. So don't go thinking that you're too much of a sinner. Don't go thinking that you're too far away. Because scripture affirms that that's exactly why Jesus did it. Because we were far away. And he was the way back to the Father. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is the man on the middle cross. Didn't deserve to be there. And was there for you and for me. That's good news. Because like those two on either side of him, we couldn't save ourselves. And we deserve to die. And yet Jesus took our place. That is the gospel. The good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So how do you connect with the gospel? Well, you do that through the response of faith. And that leads us to point number three. The first question, what is the way? The way is Jesus. The second, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The third, what must I do? Okay, so if I believe this, if I accept this, what, what, what do I do? Does it mean that since Jesus died on the cross, everybody is saved no matter what? Whether you believe in that or not, whether you accept His will or not, whether you live a selfish life... Only doing what you want to do, no matter what God's Word says? Is that the case? And if that's not the case, and I don't think that any of us would believe that that's the case, then there must be something that we do to be included in that group whose sins are washed by the blood of the Lamb crucified on the cross. So what is that? What is the response of faith to the gospel of Christ? What must I do? Interestingly enough, that exact question is asked several times in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. The response of faith is simply this, to believe, to repent, to confess, and to be baptized. That is the response of faith according to Scripture. None of that would matter If Jesus hadn't died on the cross. None of that would matter. We could believe what we wanted to believe. We could change our lives every day. We could confess him to everyone, everywhere, every day. We could be baptized every day, multiple times a day. And it just 
wouldn't matter. Because the power is in the gospel. The power is in the one on the middle cross. The power is in the empty tomb. The gospel is the power and that power is the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. But because of that, now there is an answer to the question, what must I do? And the answer is to believe in that one who died for us and was raised from the dead and is coming again. To repent of our sins, just a long word that means change, to change our path. Not to be perfect, but to get on a path that is pointed towards Christ. To confess that to others so that they'll know that this is what's in our heart, that we're not just doing this for show, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the one on the middle cross. The one and the only one whose tomb is empty. Why do you say that, Bill? Well, there's a whole bunch of scriptures on your outline for that. We see that question being asked in Acts 2. Less than two months after Jesus was killed and was resurrected. On the weekend of, Pen- of Passover. Fifty days later is the weekend of Pentecost. And on that Sunday they heard the gospel of, for the first time. In the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And when they heard that they had killed the Son of God. They were pierced, cut to their hearts. And they asked, what do we do? What do we do? In Acts chapter 16, Paul is talking to a man by the name of uh, uh, in, in, uh, a, a jailer in, uh, in Philippi. And he's talking to him and the man has just realized that Paul and Silas, these men who had been beaten unmercifully and unjustly, had been spending the night singing praises to this God of theirs. And then this God delivers them and yet they don't go anywhere because they're concerned about him. And he asked, falls at their feet and asks, what must I do? What must I do? In Acts chapter 8, there's an, an official from Ethiopia who had been in Jerusalem worshiping and was reading from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, and didn't understand it. And asked, what, what's this talking about? And Philip was there. In Acts 9, and Acts 22, and in Acts 26, we read the story of Saul of Tarsus, who had become Paul the Apostle, coming face to face with this Jesus whom he was trying to persecute and destroy, realizing that he really was who he said he was. And he asked the same question, what do I do? What do I do? We see that question asked and answered in all of those contexts and in others. To the Philippian jailer, Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved in all your household. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, then they went home and he taught him the gospel. He preached the gospel message to him and to all of his family. And all of his family were baptized that same hour of the night. Why? Because that's part of the response of faith. Believe. And then later he was baptized. In Acts chapter 2, when they said, what do we do? We just crucified the long-awaited Messiah. The answer came back, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian was talking to Philip as they were riding along, and 
And he said, who's he talking about in Isaiah 53 himself or somebody else? And, and Philip shared with him the gospel of Christ. And as they came along, the, the, the Ethiopian said, hey, here's some water. You've been talking about baptism. Man, I'm ready. A- am I not ready? And Philip says, well, do you believe? And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he says, you're ready, man. <laughs> Let's go. And he responded to the answer to his questions. Saul of Tarsus was told after being in Damascus, the city where he had gone to persecute the church, instead meeting Jesus face to face on the way and being blinded at the sight, being led by the hand into the city, praying and fasting for three days. Did he believe? Oh, he absolutely believed. Did he repent? He surely did. Was he confessing? Obviously so. But a Christian man by the name of Ananias was told by Jesus, I want you to go to him and answer his question. He asked me on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, what do I do? And Jesus said, I want you, Ananias, to go to him and answer his question. In Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias gave him that answer. He said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Calling on the name of the Lord. How do you wash your sins away? Well, because Jesus died, you respond in faith. How do you call on the name of the Lord? Some people say, oh, well, the Bible says all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And that's right. And just like Saul of Tarsus, that means believing in him. Turning away from our lives of sin. Confessing his name and being baptized to wash our sins away. So many other examples in those scriptures that you find there. This evening and next Sunday evening at 5 p.m. in our reflections class in the office classroom across the parking lot. We're going to be discussing this response of faith a little bit more in depth. And doing a deeper dive into the significance of Christian baptism. To connect with our culture without deleting the church then will require this. It will require speaking the truth in love. That's the passage in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. And we've got to do all three. There's not a single one of those that's optional if we're going to connect to the culture without deleting the church. We must speak to them. We're called to be around them. We're sent in their midst to be around them. And so we speak. But what is it we speak? We speak the truth. We'll talk about that next time. And we speak the truth in love. I want to emphasize three things as we go through this series. And they're simply this. Speaking the truth in love means speaking with clarity, with conviction, and with compassion. It means speaking with clarity. So that they will understand we speak the language of our culture because it's our culture. But we try to be clear in what we share with them because this message is clear. We can discuss it, but it's clear. And so we speak to them with clarity. We speak to them with with conviction, speaking the truth. It must be the truth. It may not be popular. We may pay a price. But we must speak and live the truth. We must do that clearly with clarity, but we must do it with conviction. This is what I believe. This is what God's Word teaches. 
Jesus is the only way. In spite of what our culture might say, we speak with clarity, we speak with conviction, and we speak with compassion, speaking the truth in love. At no time should those people, even though they highly disagree with our message, should at no time should they feel that we do not love them, that we do not care about them. And if we've given them that impression, then we are the ones who need to repent. It doesn't mean we go soft on the message at all. It means we speak the truth in love. We speak with clarity. We speak with conviction. And we speak with compassion. Connecting with Jesus as the way connects us with the Father. Again, going back to John 14. One of his apostles said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be good enough for us. And he says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't get it? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. And the only person that could say that is Jesus. Because Jesus is the way. As we call ourselves to connect with the culture without deleting the church, let me ask you this question and end here. Are you connected with Jesus the way? Have you responded in faith to the gospel of Christ? It's wonderful news that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that the tomb is empty. Now so what? Have you accepted that gospel as your own and called on that man who shed his blood on the middle cross to let that blood wash your sins away? And the response of faith in Christian baptism. Are you connected with Jesus the way? Only Jesus is mighty to save. Only Jesus can create in you a clean heart. Only Jesus can renew a right spirit within you. David knew it in Psalm 51 where this great song comes from. If you know it today and you need to respond in faith, we would love to help you do that. Come as we stand and sing this great song together. Thank <laughs> you.